This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Today's episode, which was recorded in early September, is very special to me and one that I feel is a deliciously thought-provoking way to end 2021. Our guest is a beekeeper and educator that embodies wisdom, spirituality, religion, symbolism, and she incorporates them into her beekeeping practices. I like to think of her as one of the beacons of light within our community. Please welcome my dear friend, Ali Pinion. Hello. Hi. Awesome. <laughs> hey. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are doing you doing? Good. I'm just going to lean over and close my window really quick. Okay. There's um some folks doing some tree work in the neighborhood, so they're... There's chainsaws and blah. <laughs> yeah, my husband's an arborist, so I'm very familiar with all that. Oh, yeah. God, what dangerous work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But we get lots of good wood chips and we work together on some jobs because he gets lots of bee trees. Oh, nice. Boy, that's yeah. such a great connection. There's a couple of beekeepers here in Portland that are like really into that and there's actually a good episode about it um cool cool yeah yeah I, I feel really lucky to be partnered with someone like that because he helps me put swarm traps in trees and you know catch swarms that are not easily done without wearing a harness yeah absolutely do you feel like he or or have you had many opportunities to help convince homeowners to let the bees stay like if they find out that there's a colony in there they're willing to let the tree stay in place yes that has happened before oh yes. that's and, so good yeah and actually he talked someone into leaving bees in the side of their house earlier this week wow yeah. oh my god how did he manage that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess he told them all the things I've been trying to convince him to put a live hive in one of our walls in the house so. <laughs> Well, I hope that that's a dream that can come true for you, because that would be so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. One day, for sure. For sure. <laughs> How's my audio? I'm using um, earbuds. Um, I, I feel like that's better than just my computer's audio. But yeah, it actually sounds good. It sounds really good. I'm even going to um, turn your mic, or I have a, a the recorder that I'm using um, records two separate tracks. So I have my own track, and then you have your own track. Um, so I just turned yours down a little bit. And for me, I just got this new microphone. I figured after three nice. years of podcasting, it was time for an upgrade. And this one is hands-free, so you won't hear me, like, fidgeting with the microphone. <laughs> nice, nice. I've been looking at different ones to, to purchase, and they're not cheap. They're not cheap. And even the recorder's... I went for not like the cheapest one, um, but yeah, I mean, really, you could start a podcast for like really relatively no money if you just do all the recording on your phone, um, but then like all the editing and 
I don't know. It's nice when it sounds polished, you know, when you publish it. So, Well, I bought these uh, earbuds to do YouTube videos because I'm not doing podcasts. I'm like doing YouTube and like being in the field and not having any wires around you and recording. Oh, yeah. How are you doing the video recording? Do you have somebody helping you or you're doing all of that yourself? Yeah, just on a phone with a wow. uh, little stand. Yeah. Uh, which is why I don't have a lot of videos up yet. Yet. <laughs> the editing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. A lot of editing. Well, that's really I intense. I have a video on your veil, a review on your veil that I have yet to put up. It's like three minutes long. I haven't completely finished editing it yet. Oh, but, my gosh. Yeah. Well, you were really one of the early supporters of my, my veil business. Because I think when you purchased yours, I had really just decided to leave the workforce and start my business and, you know, have the website and everything. So, like, all the beekeepers like you that got in early and showed their support has helped me to get where I am now. Well, I mean, I appreciate it so much because, you know, six years ago when I was trying to figure out equipment, and I'm wearing these huge, big-bellied bee suits, you know. And it's too hot here to wear a full suit, so I just wore a jacket. But I was like, I don't know. I have a lot to say about why I appreciate your veil so much. Oh, well, you're and- so sweet. <laughs> but today we're here to brag about you and your awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote a poem about the beekeeper's veil I should send to you. Um, see what you think. I would love that. I mean, if you're if you have it handy, you're welcome to read it. Well, it's on my blog. I don't actually. Have okay, it, but it's on my blog. I can um, send it to you to see what you think about it because I really feel like they're one of the sacred tools and mm-hmm. that they keep us from being in armor. You know, because I feel like when I'm and there are times that you need to be armored. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. doing extractions where there are you know. Um, uh, scoots a lot. Of, I, I like it how yes. the people on your podcast were saying scoots. Scoots, um, I yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we don't have those down here, but it's just, you know, being more present. I agree with that. And even early in my beekeeping, I felt like we're getting dressed for some like really special work, you know, this special world that we're about to enter into and having you know, the clothing that you're wearing that's special for that. And then the lighting of the smoker, it all felt so ceremonial to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I might still talk about it (laughs) (laughs) because it's so important to me and it's about the relationship. And that's, you know, that's what I teach people. That's what I talk about. And that's what I Mm beekeep. That's the reason. So that's why your veils are so special. Oh, Thank you. It's like, it's sacred adornments, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I what I love about your beekeeping is that you do take that sacred um, spiritual approach to your relationship with bees and that you, it's not all woo, like there's technical skill there as well. Is woo an okay term to use? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, Am yeah. I being, I, yeah. I want to make sure I'm being PC here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually trying to, uh, I'm a very spiritual person, but I understand the word spiritual changes the way some people listen to you. And so I'm kind of trying to 
turn it around into like embodied beekeeping. Hmm. Um, you know? Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm a, a very, very spiritual person. And which is so funny because the reason why I chose today, I got back last, um, Wednesday, but it's mother Mary's feast day today. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, tell me about that. I am I, honestly very uneducated about religion and spirituality yeah, so um, briefly, um, it is the day that the Catholic Church decided was her birthday, and so it's a day of celebration for her. But I see Mother Mary as the embodiment of Mother Earth mm-hmm. and how she shows up across culturally, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Lourdes, you know, she is just this divine mother presence that shows up in everything. You know, there's Mother Mary and bees everywhere. And, you know, Jesus was thought to be the bringer of the honey. And um, he cried tears of bees. And, you know, you can see that story coming up through Isis and Osiris and Egyptian mythology and everything as well. And, you know, I do believe that Mary and Jesus were real people. But um, I, I also think that they represent something larger than what the church organized religion likes to put out there wow so it's a special day absolutely yeah. well what what's the way to like recognize it in a greeting like it, you know people will say like merry christmas or something what's what's the uh, greeting um, or way to celebrate it well i i you know i don't really tell people much outside of my friend circle that already know because a lot of times i mean i live in the bible belt so people around here are um think of religion a lot differently in spirituality than me. But I do, how I honor today is I pour honey on my mother, Mary, um, statues that I have. Wow. And the, um, I actually have Mary painted on one of my hives too. And my grandmother was named after her, my mom. So very much in my lineage. And, um, I also make little Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is amazing. (laughs) I've never done uh, poured wax candles, but I understand it's really, there's a lot of skill involved in getting it and, and having it go into the mold and have it come out so flawlessly. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, there are some more simple molds, but yeah, it's a lot of trial and error and a heat gun. You have to have a heat gun. Oh, I mean, changed my world and and it's funny because the candle people they have spent so much time learning their trade through trial and error that they don't really share information like you can find very little detailed information I mean they're called chandlers uh, candle makers or chandlers but the chandler profession is very old and passed down and so I found a lot through YouTubing um, monks hand dipping candles. Oh my god! Because gosh. they were, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, but that's where I, it's so funny because I was very anti-religious, agnostic at a point in my life, and then the bees kind of brought me back to spirituality in a in a different way, and um, I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, watching monks on YouTube hand dip <sighs> candles was my <laughs> well, that is so beautiful. You know, when you said that you sort of spent time away from religion, but coming back, coming to the bees brought you back to that 
I can kind of relate to that because I I tend to think of myself as atheist or I don't uh, practice any particular religion, but I do believe there's something bigger than us out there. And I do believe in fate and um, things that are meant to be. I believe we all have a destiny. And when I started working with bees and feeling the power of, of being with them in such an incredible, you know, space, it really reminded me that that there is a higher power. And I felt like that this is probably the closest thing to church that I may ever experience yes. is the, the work with bees. Yes, uh, uh, 100% spot on. That's exactly, yeah. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about your capacity as an educator and mentor and, and what you are doing with your beekeeping uh, beyond hobby level. Yeah, so um, I do not keep bees for honey. Um, I keep bees for the relationship with, with bees. I um, typically have somewhere between 20 and 30 hives, um, usually around 25. Um, That's a lot for Mm -hmm. one person to deal with. Um, Yes. (laughs) I do. Yeah, I do alternative hive styles. So I have currently I have uh, top bar hives, the Kenyan top bar, um, lay-ins hives, which are another horizontal French style hive. And most of my hives are lay-ins. And then I have Langstroth hives, and um, I actually have a tree hive that I had a swarm in, but they left. They were a late swarm. Mm. So next year. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I'll have that back. Um, so as, as far as it being beyond a hobby, I feel like my, my candle making is, is a hobby because it is um, labor intensive, and um, I actually do produce a little more candles than I can make myself. So I buy some wax, but what, Mm -hmm. what kind of brings my business together is diversity. So I'm working with, um, candles. I'm doing workshops. Um, I, you know, with COVID I had to kind of change a lot of what I was doing because I was doing a lot more in-person things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was doing a lot more workshops in person and, um, a lot more. So I also do like ceremonies and um, with honey and bees and we do meditation with bees and hive tours. I, I used to do a lot of those. Um, so I kind of kept it just to one family at a time now mm-hmm. and still going around and doing some workshops. And um, I did teach at an outdoor conference, but, and then twice a year I have um uh, honey sales. So I'll do, I I actually harvest in the spring. So I make sure that all my bees make it through winter. I really love that that model because for me, and I'm not dissing anybody's uh, honey harvesting practices, but for for me, like I'm in agreement with you on harvest in the spring when they are just getting up and running for the season and have plentiful resources rather than harvesting at the end of their season where that's the, what they can survive on. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, um, especially in Mississippi, because we have basically year round beekeeping, um, our, 
we rarely get below 32 degrees here. Um, oh, wow. This past winter, we did have a few, uh, like during the day, you know, we can have 80 degrees in, you know, February or January. So the bees will be foraging, but there's not much to forage. Um, and so I, my kind of rule of thumb is when the dandelions are full bloom here, then I know I can pull some honey. Mm -hmm. And so what I end up doing is the reason why I have two harvests is because I will pull some honey and um, that I know I can have because they're about to do build up for spring and summer. And then I still save half of that honey. And if I know they have enough to go through uh, winter, then I'll sell the other bit of that honey. Yeah. Um, and I sell for premium. Um, so I'm not doing like commodity. Yeah. Well, it's uh, such prices. a precious resource. Right, right. And um, it's almost kind of like, you know, this body part, this blood of the hive. And so it's very labor intensive for them. And I don't feed sugar water. I'm I, I'm a new beekeeper. I've only been beekeeping about five years. Uh, I've been studying bees for longer. <laughs> but um, so I'm also still learning, you know, my hives and what the I've caught all wild swarms except for three hives. I actually bought from a beekeeper who's been treatment free for 30 years. Wow. Um, yeah, so I wanted some of those genetics. Yeah. Um, here in Mississippi, he's about two hours north of me. Um, but yeah, so in a previous life, I was a regenerative livestock farmer, and um, we learned quickly that diversity was the only way to really make a living. And and so that's what I've kind of taken that same approach to the the beekeeping world. I knew when I started beekeeping, I wasn't keeping bees for honey. Mm -hmm. I really don't honestly consume that much honey. Yeah. I and I think like, that, not much of a sweet tooth. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I actually use it in medicine more than I do because I make medicines as well um, with, with products of the hive, but yeah, so that's kind of how it went from hobby to, you know, my more than full time. position. Um, <laughs> And um, I did start a, a um, online beekeeping group, but had some things come up in my family that I had to kind of put that off to the side. But I plan on picking that back up uh, probably in February of mm -hmm. next year. I think it's hard when you are managing so many hives and trying to keep all of the aspects of your business afloat and thriving, but then also having the energy to keep your family happy, you know, all of the, all of the home life stuff, yeah. plus creating content for, right, for right. the internet. I, I struggle with that. I'm, I'm in a total slump right now where I just, I don't really know what to post or what to talk about. And so I'm putting my, my energy that I'm putting out into the world is going to be through this podcast for a while until I can think of something to say. <laughs> Well, I love that because I actually have taken a two month break from Instagram and I felt more mentally healthy and good about myself than oh, I have in a while. That's wonderful. You know, because you always, I'm always thinking, you know, like, what can I do that's new and different and, right. you know, not derivative? And that's a hard thing to do when you're online with, you know, millions of people and to not get bogged down 
by that. And so one thing that I, you know, sat with that came up for me is that I'm no longer going to be who I think I should be. I'm going to be who I am right now. And uh, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I, I hope that this and I know this message will will touch the hearts of the people that are listening because it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And life is too short to be trying to be someone else. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, I also think that that's a really, really strong message that the bees bring. And my friends tell me that I can segue anything to bees. So like, you know, well, but it's I really true. Believe, <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> they teach us presence and, and patience. And, you know, like I was saying before, I am trying to change this narrative to like embodied beekeeping, because that's what brought me to bees was I actually, I would pick a word for the year and um, the word for the year that the bees came to me was patience. And um, they really, really teach you that they really teach you to be in the present moment, to be embodied, because if you're not and you try to, you know, take the roof off of their home and go in there and you are not being slow and considerate and careful, then they're going to be upset. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the bees not only teach you to be in your body, but they teach you how to be more deeply in your own senses. And so, you know, a lot of times we're distracted by everything around us, our phones, TVs, news, all the things going on. And so we don't have that cultivation of presence and this is why I love working with kids with bees so much is because they immediately just grab onto that. You know, um, before I do any sort of talk or ceremony or workshop or hive tour, I have everyone stop and, and take three breaths and we hum on the exhale. Mm. And um, there are many reasons behind that scientifically being that it, you know, it activates the vagus nerve and it makes us uh, more calm and present and, and, helps us release some of those feel-good hormones and it, you know there's even studies about how it helps us release pain but it's it it teaches us to be present and it's also an offering to the bees you know it's like we wouldn't want someone to just bust into our home and it and it's also a little bit rattling when somebody comes and knocks on your door right and so you know a hum would be like I'm here and if, if I'm giving a hive tour and we are um, around the hives, like I will have people put their hands on the hives and then we will kind of send our intention of what we're going to do with the bees to the bees. And, you know, whether they understand that or not, I think that they do understand that we're trying to be slow and careful and respectful of them. And one of the questions that the kids ask me, I, I feel like I get the best questions from kids mm. because they make me think more than, than the adult questions do sometimes. But one of the times the kids ask me, could bees feel? And, you know, I thought about that for a second. And I was like, yes, I, I believe they can. Because when a hive is queenless, they moan, they you do. know, they yeah. make this like mourning sound like like elephants do. So I actually I have some audio of that so people can hear. And there really absolutely oh, is yeah. a difference. Queenless hive. 
been studying uh, bees and sound and sound therapy, but also how scientists are studying the sounds that bees make. And um, there's this place in um, Ancona, Italy, which is actually where my ancestors are from, some mm-hmm. of them at least. But they've been studying the sounds that bees make. And I also believe that Texas A&M, they've been also um, studying their hum and how what they can tell about the health of the hive through the hum and how if they play the sound of a um, you know happy hive, then the bees seem happier. But if they play the distress sound, it will distress the bees. And it, I think that's super neat. And throughout history, you know, especially in the Eastern religions, and we think about yoga, and we say the own sound and you know that that meditation of the hum that there's so much power in um in the hum in our voices to to bring us present and and also in healing and i can go real woo in that i am just like i'm listening this is a i i love this conversation i feel like you're giving me a little bit of therapy right now because i um today is the the boys my kids first day back at school full day in-person instruction for the first time since March of 2020 and I have been feeling so um sometimes frazzled but mostly just haven't been able to like find my presence and my strength um because I've just been so you know pulled in so many directions and it has impacted my beekeeping. And so I've been thinking about like, well, what can I do to really recenter myself? Like deep reset, you know, after the last, you know, almost two years. How do you find a deep reset so that you can move forward with your power and step into the things that you want to step into? Yeah. Well, when I started doing this humming practice, I realized that it's something I've done since I was a child and maybe not in the way of like taking three breaths to center myself at home. But anytime I had a thought in my head that I really just wanted to clear out, I would hum. And um, I didn't even really realize I was doing that until I started studying humming and really working, working with that. But I, I really do. I think it's something that can kind of clear our mind and bring us present. And I also think that like working with the bees in the sense of the five senses can really train us more on how to be in our bodies and listening, listening to our bodies and what we really are feeling. And I think that's so important for like the youth, our our nation's youth, because a lot of times, like even us as adults don't know how to regulate our emotions and mm-hmm. be able to be present and, and think about things. And I really think that, you know, taking the, I, I mean, I know there's many things called bee breath, but I still call them bee breaths. For me. Bee breaths. Will and, you, um, will you, can we do some bee breaths so people like have an idea sure. of what, yes. what you're talking about and maybe, maybe they'll join us in a few bee breaths. Yes, I love that. And um, so like what I like to do is if I'm sitting, just kind of have my, my back straight. And then so we take three breaths in and out. And on the out breath, 
we will hum. But take a deep breath in as much as you can breathe in and pause for a moment and then breathe out all the way out and hum all the way out. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> and I like to close my eyes because that also helps me center. So I'm not seeing all this, what's going on in front of me, but you don't have to close your eyes. You can just focus on something in the room. Okay. I'm going to follow your lead. All right. All right. Deep breath in. just makes me feel so much more calm and present and that buzzing in your body yeah I just I've seen like a room full of 40 kids that were you know playing and bouncing off the walls and I had them all it took a minute to get them all to that space to do the breaths but um and we just focused on something in front of us we all come together also a feeling of unity in right. sharing the hum and I felt like I was wanting to match my hum to yours same <laughs> yeah. same tone same frequency thank yeah, you yeah that's what the bees do right <sighs> yeah yeah and when when I've given talks at conferences and things like that people have always come up to me or asked the question I don't have beats but I really would love to connect with the bees and and that's one of the ways that I tell them they can do that they can go out into their yard or um, a park or just sit in place and do that hum. And that's how they can connect with the bee and, you know, themselves even more. The bees just have so much to offer us beyond honey. And I love that you're you're providing education to non-beekeepers in a way that is very meaningful and gives them a connection with the bees without them having to go and buy hives and have the intention of, you know, having bees just to harvest honey. Right, right, yeah. And I I think that um, bees are a keystone species and not that, you know, our whole food system would collapse. That's not necessarily what I mean by keystone. What I mean is that they connect us to everything else around us because A lot of times you'll hear someone say, oh, I wanted to keep bees for honey, and then I started a garden, and my garden was plentiful, so then I had a bird bath, and then I had a pond, and, you know, then I started identifying these snakes, and, you know, I really think that they connect us to to all things, and them being a super organism, and us learning about that, and how they need one another to survive, it also helps us realize that we are actually a super organism on this planet as one and everything that we do affects someone else, whether we see it or not. Um, So I think just super organisms and there's not many of them out there, but you know, the bees are the ones that we know most about. I guess people know a lot about aspens and trees, groves being a super organism, but you know, I think that they have big messages for us and um, 
One one thing um, in Thomas Seeley's new book, um, The Lives of Bees, he said that, or he hypothesized that when um, humans moved to that the Fertile Crescent and we were in the grasslands, that there was plentiful forage for the bees, but there weren't trees for them to live in, and so they moved into our water baskets I mean our water pots and baskets and so oh. I was like oh my gosh the bees chose us like they wanted a relationship with us and I know that's not what he was trying to say but that's what I read so. yeah yeah well <laughs> I mean we it's I think it's sort of known that bees will choose their beekeeper yeah I think you're very very right about that <laughs> yeah yeah well, it's funny, I was um, recently took a camping trip, and I was really missing my bees, and I'd never spent this long time away from them before, and um, I was walking up this, like, desert area, and a, up this mountain, and a bee, a bumblebee, landed right on my heart, hit me right on the heart, and then fell to the ground, and then crawled a little bit, and then flew away. Wow. And I was like, did that just really happen? You know? And, um, yeah, so I, I, I think you're right. I think they, you know, choose people. That could have been a coincidence, but, it, I mean, it hit me right in the heart. So, like, you know, it's, I thought it was pretty I, I just feel like so many things could be, you know, a coincidence, but also there's magic there. And... We don't always have to uh, walk in a linear world. And I think right. that the bees, with the mysticism around them and the magic that we feel from them and the way that they move us, it allows us to have that, um, you know, moment of oh, the bees are reminding me that they're here and they're a part of me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I did get to visit a friend of mine, and uh, she had bees, um, and she and I are going to do a little uh, Instagram thing together mm -hmm. where we're going to, uh, you know, hum uh, the people's bees. I think you've worked with her on a uh, yeah. Christine. On yeah, a, I uh, love uh, Christine. Clever. And, yeah. yeah, so I went <laughs> to go visit Christine. Yeah, yeah, and um you know, that was uh, another thing that one of my friends looking outside of the bee world said. She was like, um, you women in beekeeping, you all like support each other and hold each other up. And I was like, yes, that is so right. Because when I started in this beekeeping world here in Mississippi, there, there are lots of beekeeping groups. And I would go and I would be one of 50 people, maybe two other females there. Wow. And when I would mention that I was a, a top bar hive, working with top bar hives, they would just laugh at me and told me, you know, I I can't do it. I'm, my bees are going to die. Um, I won't make any honey. And then, you know, I'm saying, well, I'm not trying to get honey. And then they just laughed me out. I went to five different groups to try mm -hmm. so hard. And, um, you know, I really, this was six years ago, five or six years ago. And I really feel this like resurgence of the feminine coming back in to beekeeping. And I credit that to, um, hive styles, honestly, because 
not saying that women can't lift, you know, 80, 100 pound boxes, but I don't want to. I mean, I I don't either. I I am moving away from Langstroth's altogether. I love my top bar hives. Me me too. Um, And I also think that um, it, it brings a broader group of people that can get started in beekeeping. Um, like I love Sam Comfort's message, um, the anarchy atheist on, you know, making beehives out of, of what you have. Now I do believe they should be insulated to a point so that Mm -hmm. the bees don't, um, struggle and, you know, you're actually being a guardian to the bees and not just putting them in a cardboard box or something for the rest of their lives. But, um, you know, I, my first hive was a top bar cause I could build it, you know, and trying to build Langstroth hives are not easy. And so that was actually one of the first premises when I knew I'm a teacher at heart and I love teaching. So I knew when I got into this, that I wanted to help people with alternative hive styles. Um, and I see a lot of that coming back, um, I, I actually have a skep hive. I just haven't done the waddle and daub on the outside of it oh, yet. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm just, I'm trying a lot of different things. But, yeah, I mean, my, my, my two main things are relationships with bees and alternative hive styles. And I don't have anything against, um, you know, Langstroth hives. Um, I just don't want to lift those heavy boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. not worth it for me. I mean, I, I hurt, I hurt my back so many times. And the last time I hurt my back, it was like a situation where I was considering going to the ER because I was in so much pain. Yeah. And as much as I love my bees, it's not worth it. It's my body is just, I can't sacrifice my body, you know, like that, um, so I have my top bar hives and I love them. And I this season I've used five frame Langstroth hives. Nice. I have Did you build those or No, they were ones that I had just for like making nukes or catching okay. you know smaller swarms, but this year I've I've kept some bees in those just cuz it was a prolific swarm catching year. Um, and then I have my warays. I can lift a waray box if it's full, but there's not a lot of inspecting that you can do with warays um so they are they are my treatment free colonies i have um thought about building some warays um and i I said to myself if i build one i'm gonna build the crane lift yeah thing too i don't know if you've seen that but (laughs) i've never done the nadiring i will just put it put the box on top it's always horribly cross-combed but i think it's a fun process to watch and in fact I'm going to share a little story here. About a year ago, I had put the box on top and the bees, it was uh, early spring nectar flow. So they were really building a lot of comb and they built it really crazy. They built it from the, they built it from the bottom up basically, rather than from the top down. And (laughs) I, and they were filling it with nectar and it was just really fun to look in the window and see that. And I shared it on Instagram and right away I had people replying to my story with advice on how to cut the comb out and fix it to frames so that it would be straight. 
And I just, for one, didn't ask for the advice. <laughs> I was simply sharing um, what what the bees were doing and, and just admiring in the beauty of it. And secondly, cutting out comb that, that's that fresh and white and soft when it's full of nectar, it's only going to cause destruction. It's not going to work, really, to try and make it straight and make it fit on frames. And what ended up happening was about a month later, that colony swarmed and they went and filled up on all that nectar that they had stored. They swarmed. And so I was able to harvest the wax after that and just render it down. So I think that like when you were talking about patience being, you know, such an important thing to have with beekeeping, that's so true. Like that, and that's an, uh, an example of you just wait and watch and see what the bees do. And if I had gone in there and cut it up, they wouldn't have had those resources to have a swarm. Yeah, that's that's funny. I I have another little funny story. I, when I was gone on my month-long trip, I had one of my, the smaller swarms, I didn't think it was going to make it. There's this little shrub. My landowner came and cut down all the trees and made me really sad. Oh. And there's this one little shrub that stayed. And this year I have caught 11 swarms on that um, <sighs> one little shrub for my bee yard. And um, this swarm, I, I obviously didn't catch because I was out of town, but they left a little tiny comb about this big, oh. kind of like, hey, we stopped here, you know, <laughs> just to let you know. We're gone. Oh, <laughs> but <laughs> I thought it was like their little bee note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They left their little their little tag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but I really, I really love my layin's hives, and I'll tell you why. First of all, they're they're two inch lumber, or I guess whatever you know. It really turns out to be it's not exactly two inches when you buy it at the store, but um. So it's, it's thicker and then it's deeper. So each frame, it does have frames, but each frame that I pull out will, the, the most it'll weigh will be about 10 pounds. Um, and so whenever I get ready to harvest, uh, it's super simple. I don't use any extractors or anything and I can just cut them off. And if they get super cross combed, I just leave it and let them have that for the winter. Yeah. And, you know. Um, but yeah, in my, in my Langstroths, I don't use foundation, um, mainly because I don't really like plastics in the hive, but also I believe that wax is a really important source for their sound resonance. Mm -hmm. And I know they don't really have ears like we have, like they don't have like the cochlea, but they sense vibration more. And I, and I've read that, that the way the wax carries the vibrations. I mean, you can even see in like um, cathedrals and, and concert venues, they use that hexagon for sound um, a lot of times. So I do, I have issues with cross combing a lot. And um, I mean, they're like, okay, if you, I have a observation window in the back. So I always check that first to mm -hmm. see like what the activity is. But if, if I've got bad cross combing and I didn't, wasn't able to catch it in time I just yeah let them do their thing because I know that that they are drawing the comb in the way they are because of airflow 
and you know they might have all these weird little pieces of comb I, I feel like I notice it more on my um Langstroths and top bar than I do lay-ins but they'll like put small little pieces of comb in certain areas to direct the airflow and hmm. it's really cool their architecture and engineering um when I really got started my obsession with bees I was in undergraduate school in landscape architecture and we were studying the movement of insects in spaces because we were studying urban planning and um, that kind of began my whole fascination with um, bees and you know the cathedrals that they make in the hives of their wax and it's all there for a purpose you know they they've drawn it in that way for a reason Mm -hmm. um so yeah fixing cross comb makes it easy for us but what does it do in the hive Um, yeah yeah and being being thoughtful about the time of year if you you must fix it if you must clean it up I try and do it when I know they have the resources to build it back right right well, and I used to do extractions, and um, I I just, I, I will still do some jobs, but now I do it way more carefully because of that very reason. You know, somebody wants you, has just noticed in August that they have bees that they want removed. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that, and they're like, well, I'm just gonna spray them, and I'm like, well, they're probably gonna die if I remove them too. Because they don't have food and this is a stressful time to, yeah. But, um, yeah, so that was another source of income. But I, it's hard to do extractions by yourself. And uh, I had help sometimes and that's when I would do them. But, yeah, I did one earlier this year and I'm like, that was the last one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's It's sad sometimes and... You know, I've had extractions make it. I've had them not make it. But um, I just get frustrated at people who spray the bees and then tell me to come do an extraction, you know. Yeah. So that's that was part of my, like, education for in the spring. I start putting out all this material that I can through my newsletters, through um, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, you know talking to people about don't spray bees if you see a swarm, you know, uh, call a beekeeper first, you know, because people will spray it and then they will think that you can't tell that they've sprayed. And um, I, Hmm. some of my bees are located near the local college where they're doing like plant testing. And so they're spraying. And so I've had some hive loss due to pesticides. And I know what those poor little bees look like when they're, spray yeah sorry I didn't mean to get into the sad part oh well I mean it's a part of the experience of of working for and caring for and loving these creatures yeah it's it's not all pollen pants and honey drops (laughs) right (laughs) yeah if it were only yeah well I have some friends that have been keeping bees since I was an infant so they were keeping bees before Varroa and um, these climate pressures that we have now. And they just said it was so easy. It just used to be so easy. They would always have a honey harvest. And the bees would 
almost always survive the winter. So it's very different for us, you know, new generation beekeepers that are coming in at a time where the bees have just have so many pressures stacked against them. And, and thankfully, we have this community where we can find people that are like-minded and we can talk about ideas and ask questions without being shamed. You know, like when you went to those beekeeping meetings. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've heard that quite a lot from female beekeepers, actually, where they, they go to the local association and they're made to feel like they're not good enough to be a part of that. Um, beekeeping is not exclusive and it's, it, the, I think the deeper part of it is community building and being together and building a better society because that for me is ultimately what the bees are showing us how to do. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, um, I think that, you know, going back to the embodiment thing, I really think that we are in a time where we're so disconnected from from our bodies and how we feel and what it is that really we need or we want. And um, working with the bees brings you so many different levels. Um, I'll just use an example of this one kid that he his family came out and um, they had them all in bee suits, but he had a little bit of fear, so he kind of stayed back and um then by the end he was like in the hive asking questions you know <sighs> looking in and after talking to his mother about it later about how it helped him to release other fears that he wasn't you know maybe as mindful about as because we always think b sting ah you know mm-hmm. or i'm gonna go into anaphylactic shock but that's that's not it. I think that they can really, they can teach us courage too, you know, and, um, because it can be, it can be scary to, um, go into this box full of all these stinging (laughs) insects. And, you know, when you learn, I mean, since my mentors were, um, I have not really had an in-person mentor. Um, I've had a phone of a guy that lived two hours from me that I talked to on the phone. Most of my things that I've had to learn are through reading or trial and error, hands on. Mm-hmm. And um, I almost feel like that's one of the things you can't teach is just learning how to be present with the bees and release that fear. But it's like you have to have just enough fear so that you don't or awareness. I shouldn't say fear awareness so that you're moving slowly you don't smush any bees you're respectful um but i just think that that those lessons can ripple out through a lot of different things in life like you're saying i feel like i want to know you forever (laughs) (laughs) i feel like we could just be sitting on a front porch right now in some rocking chairs with some iced tea and just talking about bees and life. I love it. We do it. <laughs> and, and then there's one other thing I wanted to say, and this is just to everyone that I encourage you to, when you feel comfortable and only when to just wear a veil and, and not wear gloves, because I really feel like 
you know, there's a point when you, you'll know that you're ready for that. But I really feel like there is something totally different about when you can feel the bees crawling on your hands, when you can feel the warmth inside of the hive. I feel like you are able to be a little bit more in tune with what's happening in the hive when you don't have gloves hindering your movement or um, you're not as armored because you will move more slowly out of habit you know you're forced to move more slowly and it will more deeply connect you with the bees and i i tell people don't just go do this immediately because mm-hmm. you're gonna get stuck but over time learn to take one glove off or you know both gloves off and then maybe just a veil you know i i really feel like that's really important for embodied beekeeping and sacred beekeeping spiritual beekeeping whatever you want to call it To learn more about Allie, you can visit her online at dreamingthebee.com. I want to wish every single one of you a very happy new year filled with swarms, honey, ooey brood patterns, queens, and most of all, prosperity of joy and livelihood. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Beekeeper Confidential is written and produced by Mandy Shaw. Last February, I had a bee dream, like we all do in the wintertime, but this one was extra special, and Allie offered to mirror my dream for me. The following is a recording of our correspondence. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my bee dream. My husband was standing to the left of me and my oldest son was standing to the right and we were in a triangular formation. And we were looking into a beehive that was open. We didn't know why it was open and it was too cold for a hive to be open. It's winter time. But looking in, I could see the comb and I could see the cluster of bees moving about. And then the queen emerged. And I was so excited because I knew how incredible that was. So I was reaching for my phone and I was trying to get a picture of her, but I couldn't get my phone to work. And then the queen jumped out of the hive and landed on my forehead. And I began crying because I knew what an incredible gesture that was. And I felt her crawl down my forehead and over my eyelid, and she began drinking my tears. And then um, she flew back into the hive, and I didn't see her again. Sister, I heard your dream. I see the sacred symbol of the triangle, of the feminine, of the cosmic gateway between the worlds. Peering into the beehive, the womb, the place of birth, of rebirth, of death. I see the queen 
as the recognizer of wisdom. I see her landing on the third eye, the place of enlightenment, the place of awakening, the gateway to wisdom of the past and of the future. I see your tears as nectar, as the creative energies flowing, as life force, as the salt of the earth, as your essence, your gift, and the bees recognize your gift, and they want to share some of it, and you share it with them freely, because you know they share their gifts with you, as you want to share your gifts with them. Sister, I am complete. Dream mirrors are meant to be taken as metaphor and not literally. So anything that I've passed along to you in this dream mirror is not to be taken as a literal interpretation. Only you can interpret your dreams. Thank you for giving me this beautiful opportunity to share with you and for you sharing with me. Thanks, Mandy. And, and I'm a believer, um, I'll be brief, but I, I've had issues with dreams since I was like five or six years old. I had like night terrors, went to therapy for it. Um, so dreaming has been something all throughout my life and I've studied under many different, um, dream teachers. Uh, most recently Ariella Daly, who's a beekeeper and Mm -hmm. does like, um, yeah. So I've really, um, appreciated people that put that sort of information out there. But, um, I, yeah, I, I really believe that dreams are, you know, unlocking other worlds within us and they are connecting a a way for maybe things that can't communicate to us by speech. Um, they can communicate to us through the dream world. Um, so that's out there, but, uh, (laughs) yeah. I, I find dreams to be very potent and I you're I haven't I've heard a lot of dreams and um worked with a lot of people with dreams and I don't feel like I've heard something quite that potent and beautiful before mm. um I think that now I'm speaking for you but I think that that dream is going to continue to reveal things to you throughout your life um because it was such a big dream Oh, I feel like like a very big, warm hug right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that pyramid of you and your son and your husband that you were saying, her partner, that, you know, that's the strongest structure there is, right? And yeah, anyway. It really meant a lot to me that you, that you did that. Thank you. Thanks for being willing to share with me. Yeah. Yeah.